Chapter thirty one of the Convict by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty one. Thought, we are told by some authors, is the high and characteristic privilege of man. The truth of the axiom is not universally admitted, and even if it were so, I can only say that, like many other high and characteristic privileges, thought may become very burdensome if its exercise is constantly enforced i cannot help believing that the arabian fabulist when he represented sinbad the sailor cast upon a desert island and persecuted by an old man who once having got upon his shoulders could never be thrown off again till he was made drunk intended to allegorize the fate of one condemned to solitary thought and perhaps to point out the only means he saw of obtaining deliverance from its oppressive dominion left once more alone dudley could not refrain from thinking over and comparing the words and actions of the two men who had been his only visitors in that solitary place and he certainly felt none of that regret that the last of the two had left him which he had experienced on the departure of the first the very fact however of their having come at all was at first a source of some apprehension to him he had sought out a place of refuge where he thought the foot of man had never trod nor ever was likely to tread at least for many long years and now within one week two strangers either of whom might betray the secret of where he sojourned had found him and conversed with him how many more might be led thither by accident or curiosity or in the pursuit of gain or from any of the many motives which lead man to wander and to explore it was a question which startled him and as i have said he felt apprehension and regret at first but those sensations gradually wore away as day after day and hour after hour gave him more and more up to the weariness of thought to provide for the wants of the day or of the future to complete his shelter from storm and tempest to frame from the rock or from the clay or from the trunk of the cedar or the oak the tools and utensils of which he had need did not afford sufficient occupation to engross his mind entirely throughout any one day when he was fishing in the lake when he was watching for the passing of game when he was hewing out cisterns from the rock or breaking with his axe the hard crust of the salt pool thought would still press heavily upon him and daily it became more heavy and dark to hear the tones of the sweet human voice to tell the feelings or give utterance to the fancies of his own breast seemed each moment a privilege more to be coveted and he felt bitterly that man is made for society and that utter solitude is utter desolation a month had passed after he had met with brady without his seeing one single human being without his ever hearing the tones of even his own voice and the effect upon his mind may be understood when i say that at length before kneeling down to pray he murmured i will say my prayers aloud for fear i lose the use of speech but even that was not a relief and darker and darker grew his meditations as the leaves became a little brown and the grass assumed a yellow tinge and the flowers gave place everywhere to the berries in the wood and the sun rose later and set earlier till at length he could bear it no longer and he said i will go out and seek this norris for i believe if i remain longer here 
given up altogether to the bitter contemplation of the past and the future my brain will turn and i shall go mad with his gun upon his shoulder then his powder horn his shot belt and a large wallet of skin containing his provision of biscuit by his side he set out early in the morning directing his course according to the information he had received from the bushranger the air was fresh and cool and here and there a faint star might still be seen in the sky paling its ineffectual fires at the approach of the sun for three hours he walked on lightly and with ease but then the heat began to have effect and before another hour was over the sun beat fiercely on his head so that he was glad to sit down beneath the shade of a tall solitary tree where the wind from the ocean the roar of which he heard not far off could come to refresh him he felt how terrible it must be to cross in the summer season any of those wide arid deserts which form a considerable portion of new holland and one of which he knew lay close to the east of the fertile tract in which he had fixed his dwelling there for seventy or eighty miles extend limestone hills without grass or tree or water not a herb not a shrub not a living thing if it be not the lizard or the scorpion is to be seen throughout the whole tract and as he looked to the southeast and saw a yellow reddish streak extending across the distance and resting with a hard edge upon the sky at the horizon he thought i must take care not to involve myself in such a wilderness as that to die of thirst must be a fearful death and instinctively he rose and walked on towards the spot in the plain where the grass seemed somewhat greener and the trees in more luxuriant foliage than the rest he found as he expected a little stream somewhat shrunk indeed by the late heats but still containing plenty of clear and beautiful water and wading through some reeds upon the bank under a fringe of large trees he was going to fill a gourd which he had dried when suddenly a number of birds of the duck species rose up close to him and putting his gun to his shoulder he fired and brought down two with one shot they were beautiful birds of a jetty black colour and seemed fat and well conditioned and he laid them down on the bank and then went in again to feel his gourd when he came back he found a large snake with its head raised and its tongue darting in and out hissing at the dead birds as if hardly comprehending how they lay so still the reptile did not seem to hear his approach and he killed it easily with the stock of his gun saying somewhat bitterly slaughter slaughter it is all warfare this life defensive against the strong offensive against the weak it is a strange state of being almost at the same moment a loud shout met his ear and he charged his gun again hastily suspecting that the cry might come from one of the wild natives he listened attentively and shortly after heard a sound amongst the bushes farther up the stream but he had often been told that such is the stealthy skill of the savage that in creeping upon his face he does not disturb the foliage more than a light wind and here it was evident that the person who approached was taking no pains to conceal his advance dashing through the brushwood with a hasty step and seeming rather to court than avoid observation can it be someone in pursuit of me thought dudley but at the next moment a voice shouted aloud in english who was that firing 
and after pausing a moment the figure of mr norris with a gun in his hand and two dogs following him came forth from the bushes and stood to gaze under one of the large detached trees his eyes instantly fell upon dudley but that gentleman's appearance was so much altered that norris did not recognize him at first and cocking his gun advanced cautiously with his broad brow furrowed with a doubtful and inquiring frown he himself was well dressed after the colonial fashion in a large straw hat light linen shooting jacket and cotton trousers and certainly dudley's appearance was somewhat strange and robinson crusoe like the greater part of his dress being composed of the skin of the kangaroo and the cap upon his head though formed of lighter materials being of his own manufacture from the inner bark of some of the trees which he had cut down the next instant however norris seemed suddenly to recognize him and placing his gun under his arm again came straight across the stream to meet him ah mr dudley i am glad i have met you he said i intended to come and find you out as soon as the weather was a little cooler for that infernal villain brady told me there was an englishman who knew me living on mount gambier and i was sure it was you from his description i told him to tell you answered dudley though i did not choose to give him my name not that i believe he would betray me or any one for there is i think some good in the man and i am much obliged to him for having remembered my message betray you he certainly would not answered norris for that was not one of his vices and he punished it bitterly enough when he found it in others you heard what he did after he left me i have heard nothing since i saw him answered dudley but you speak as if the man were dead oh he is hanged by this time answered norris the day after he quitted my house he stole a horse at pringle sheepron and then rode straight on night and day i believe to take revenge upon a man as bad or worse than himself who kept what they call a store the fellow's name was mcsweeney and it seems he had given this man brady up to justice he was sitting quietly in his cabin drinking with an old man and a lad about nine o'clock at night when brady presented himself at the door few words passed between them for brady's salutation was only mcsweeney i want you he had a pistol cocked in his hand but mcsweeney walked out doggedly and asked what do you want brady i give you five minutes to say your prayers replied the ruffian i don't want five nor one answered mcsweeney i am not given to prayers and as i've lived i'll die there were no more words passed but a shot was fired and when they ran out from the house they found mcsweeney with his brains blown out and lying before his own door the whole country was in arms after the murderer and the last news i heard was that he had been caught and sent to hobart town where he has been hanged ere this time as he both desired and deserved but let us dismiss such a person from our thoughts mr dudley in intellectual being as in mere animal existence there are various classes and dignities according as it is ranged in which we value the individual who minds seeing a serpent swallow a lizard or a chameleon suck in a gnat the existences which perish are so small as not to be worth the counting and this man's being was even less for all that was not contemptible was noxious i gave him food when he wanted it and shelter the utmost extent to which his gratitude carried him was not to rob me when he went away let us talk of other things you will doubtless soon return to your own country 
i never shall the whole of his companion's manner tone and language surprised dudley not a little there was an elevation in it a sense of dignity which he might have concluded would have been totally extinguished by a criminal conviction but dudley had not read the character of norris quite right there are men and he was one of them who taking to their heart some great principle religious moral or political have their reward their encouragement and their consolation in following its dictates and seeking by any means to obtain the objects which it sets before them they build a pyramid of thought and its fastness sinks every other thing into vain insignificance i have already shown the principles which norris had adopted and the objects that he sought and let it not be supposed that because sometimes he did seek those objects by means that his own heart condemned he had any motives of personal ambition any dreams of individual greatness in the future to gratify with a mistake not at all uncommon in politics as well as in religion he fancied that the end not only justified the means but dignified it nay more he felt proud of every sacrifice which he made for the one great principle the sacrifice of wealth of station of profession of friendship of prejudices or opinions of liberty ay of life itself were all in his eyes honourable if incurred in the pursuit of his grand object to be branded as a felon to be sent forth from his native country as a convict ay to work as a slave had it been required as a consequence of his assertion of his wild notions of liberty would have only added to his personal dignity in his own eyes and to the dignity of the cause for which he suffered dudley had never met with a political fanatic before and though he soon learned to comprehend his companion's feelings it at first struck him as somewhat surprising to find his manner prouder and his tone more elevated as a convict in a distant land than they had appeared when free in his own country in answer to his last words however words which puzzled him as much as the manner in which they were spoken he replied there is no probability mr norris of my ever returning to my own land perhaps you are unaware that for an offence in which i had no share i was condemned to transportation for life indignant and disgusted indeed by the scene to which i was transferred the cruel tyranny on one part and the wickedness and vice on the other i contrived to escape and made my way hither concealed on board a whaler and i must therefore request you to mention to no one that you have seen me i find indeed that of all punishments one of the most terrible is solitude and i was on my way to visit you even for a day's relief when i met you here but there is no chance whatsoever of my ever attempting to revisit england norris smiled magna est veritas et prevalibit he replied you are innocent and you will be proved innocent i was guilty as far as bad laws can make men guilty who strive against oppression i denied not the splendid crime they imputed to me and here i stand glorying in it here i will remain too for ever seeing new nations rise up around me and trying to give such a direction to their energies while yet in infancy that in their manhood they shall root out the very name of oppression from their land and every man be free and virtuous in his freedom i thought it no shame indeed as the patriarch joseph by his wisdom won favour with those to whom he was sold in bondage to render myself useful to my taskmasters 
and thus to get my hand withdrawn from the bonds I could not break. But with England I have done for ever. Twice I have struggled for her freedom, twice have those who should have supported me fled at the first note of danger. I will see what a new race will do. But as you are so far on your way to my dwelling, Mr. Dudley, either come on with me, or I will go back with you. But no, it were better you should come on, for I have much to talk to you about, and something to give you. Do you not remember I promised you some papers? They are lodged in safe hands, and you shall have them yet. The two most important I have with me here. How did you contrive to preserve them? asked Dudley. Me, they stripped of everything. There were ways and means, replied Norris. Sometimes in the sole of my shoe, sometimes in the lining of my coat, they were concealed. But at all events they are safe, and shall be yours. The others are left at Clive's house, and will be given to you on your return. Do not, do not, Mr. Norris, replied Dudley. Try to nourish hopes in me which may, nay, which must, be disappointed. All that could be done to save me from disgrace and infliction was done at my trial. Every evidence that could be brought forward was adduced in my favour, and nothing that poor Edgar Adelon could do was left undone. My counsel, too, were the first in the land, and I am bound to admit, as one educated in the study of the law, that setting aside all consideration of my character and sentiments, of which neither judge nor jury could know much, there was sufficient to convict me. "'And yet you were innocent,' answered Norris. "'That should show you, Mr. Dudley, what sort of things laws are. Edgar Adelon did all that he could, indeed, and I helped him to the best of my power, though I was unable to move from the wounds I had received. But all that good kind youth's efforts were in vain, and would have been fruitless even if he had succeeded in finding the men he sought.' I spoke with them afterwards, and neither of them ever saw you on that fatal night, so that they could prove nothing. All his labour served but two ends, to bring me hither, for it was through his inquiries for me that others were led to the place of my retreat, and secondly, to open his own eyes to the true character of the viper who has poisoned your existence, he thinks, for ever. "'Whom do you mean?' asked Dudley eagerly. I know no one who failed to do anything that was possible to serve me. Sir Arthur Adelon, it is true, was absent for a strange length of time, but still all that he did, probably all he could do, was kind and generous. Do you mean him? No, answered Norris somewhat sternly, I do not. He was bound in chains of fear, and in the end he would have risked something perhaps, but it was then too late. No, I mean the man who contrived the whole accusation, who gave it probability, who removed the proofs of innocence, who quietly and calmly and deliberately drew toils around you, from which you could not escape, and then left the dogs of the law to worry you at their pleasure. "'This is very strange,' exclaimed Dudley. "'I have no suspicion of such practices. Do you mean to say I have been made the victim of a conspiracy?' "'No,' replied Norris, for a conspiracy implies many acting for an end of which they are conscious. Here there was but one, guiding others who were unconscious of the end for which he strove. Sir Arthur Adelon himself was but one of the tools. "'Can you mean Filmer?' asked Dudley. "'Aye, even so,' answered Norris. "'But come on to my house, and I will tell you all about it.' for not being taken till the assizes were over, I was long in prison. 
and there i learned many facts which skilfully put together developed the whole scheme had we not better rest here till the heat of the day is past asked dudley we have fresh water here and i have a few biscuits we can get fish out of the river too and broil them speedily norris smiled how soon he said man habituates himself to circumstances what would you have said to such fare two years ago mr dudley hard biscuit coarse bream and cold water but i can treat you better and can show you a road which sheltered by tall trees never feels the sun except for about half a mile and which open to the sea catches every breeze that blows there is a little lake too on the way and i have got a canoe upon the lake in which we can skim easily across saving many miles of toil let us bring these birds with us they will add to our evening meal for their flesh is as good as their plumage is beautiful and taking up the ducks by their feet he walked on up the stream with dudley following buried in meditation upon all he had lately heard End of chapter thirty one